Radio Mano Papachango. California. Uh, yeah, I know there was um, a movie called The Usual Suspects a few decades ago. I was going to say a few years ago, but it's probably a few decades ago now. And uh, Benicio del Toro plays this amazing character who mumbles through the whole movie. I don't know who came up with the idea for a character that you can't understand, but he does a great job. Benicio del Toro, amazing Puerto Rican actor. Uh, he was incredible in traffic. My God, what a great movie that is. It's one of my favorite, favorite movies of all time. If you haven't seen that, I highly recommend it. Traffic. Benicio del Toro plays a Mexican police officer. It's a, it's a film about the drug war. Uh, it's really well shot, well acted, well written. Just everything about it is fucking fantastic. It sort of looks at the drug war from you know the perspective of the the rich guy. I think he's a senator or something whose kid you know they're in Malibu and his kid overdoses and you know that aspect of the drug war and then the police and the corrupt Mexican military and the, just the whole fucking thing. It's like The Wire. If you haven't seen The Wire, do yourself a fucking favor already and watch The Wire. It's it's like a, a graduate college course in American history and um, public policy. and <clears throat> But it's so much fun and, and funny and tragic and touching. It's just everything a, a great work of art can possibly be. Uh, yeah, what other movies while well, I'm talking about TV and movies? Uh, oh, Y Tu Mama Tambien. That's another great movie. Uh, Mexican movie i believe the director's mexican maybe spanish i don't remember but anyway enough about movies this episode is with toby tierman that may sound familiar to you because kyle tierman was a guest on this podcast a while back which led to uh kyle and i becoming buds and hanging out and kyle invited me down to rhythmia he was the connection to rhythmia he knew the folks he knew jerry and um, so Kyle invited me down there. The folks at Rhythmia, um, you know, had me down to uh, do a couple podcasts and help spread the word about the place. <clears throat> and then it turned out once I got down there, I realized that I was sort of plugged into a family visit because I guess the initial idea was um, some other people to go, but they couldn't make it. And so, uh, Kyle's brother and sister ended up coming. So, and his mom was there. So I met the whole family and they're all fascinating people. I'll probably have them all on the podcast eventually. Um, but Toby and I were able to sit down and record a conversation while we were hanging out down there in Costa Rica. Um, he's a fascinating dude, as you'll hear. He, he, uh, got into, filmmaking um he, he sort of does it all uh documentaries primarily 
<clears throat> but he's worked on feature films. Uh, and he and Taj Larson, Kaj, Kaj Larson. So we have a friend Tao and a friend Kaj, and I, I end up calling them Cow and Taj. It's a mess. Anyway, uh, Toby works with Kaj on a lot of his projects, so he's been to all these remote places. He was up at the North Pole, you know, in a nuclear sub, and um, the two of them are sort of a dynamic duo. So you'll get to hear about some of their adventures from the perspective of the guy who's handling the cameras and and, uh, the lighting and making sure everything looks and sounds as good as possible, which is uh, an interesting way to to adventure. It's kind of, I would imagine it's kind of stressful. Uh, you know, because you're dealing with all the challenges of the trip and the logistics and the dangers and the the bugs and the the fucking mildew that gets in your lenses and all that stuff. Um, but you also have to make sure that everything is working because nothing could be worse than coming back from the North Pole and finding that your uh, your exposure was off. Ah, gotta go do it again. That would suck. Anyway. That's enough for me. I'm going to keep this brief. While I'm on the road, I'll be, um, you know, doing the sort of reports from the road in the Roma episode. So I'll keep the intros to the conversational standard, tangentially speaking, episodes to a minimum. And I'll save my ranting and raving and uh, topical updates for the Roma episodes. Thank you to everybody who supports this podcast, however you do it, whether it's through sending me money on Patreon or just hitting the donate button on my webpage or sending me warm thoughts, dreaming of me, telling your friends about the podcast, uh, whatever it is, however you do it, I appreciate it and uh, I'm grateful. So that's it, Toby Tierman. Hope you enjoy this. I'm going to play you out with a little tune called It's Going Down by Blackalicious because you know it is. Be the same when I can reach your brain is about the buzz. Got your crush, show up at our show in a tacky dress. Talking us, talking about your prowess, but we're not impressed. Checkmate, populous crush, monstrous plush. Bombs are just trust. Onto your buck, buck, just rushing like the Nile River power we deliver. See it.
gab, won't you learn them and assure them that the fire that you spit a burn them. Burning up the track and turning up the action. Murder one attack, observing what you're rapping. Urban gutter anthem. Certain of the fact, curtains for the wax, searching for the night. Perving off the fatness. Fury of the wrath, the early mornings after. Worldly like disaster. Purely just the baddest. But chief clamp down on them. Like a vice on a melon, squeezing tight on your temples. Feel the bass. As the wind blows in your face. And your mental. Get a taste. Instrumentals even break down on you like this. We surpass your previous standards. Drastically. Mastering days. Setting nights so bright. Beneath the skylights. And days. And weeks. And months. Go by. And years. And decades. And we still so fly. While the others all just fly by night. And not tight. We keep writing. Like scribes. But we tighten. So wise. Come on. The rhyme is story and exploring everything that we got. And even more so we exploring everything that they not. These are the glory days of lyricists forever. We plot. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Hold, hold on. Hold on. Bring it back. Stop. Bring it back. The rhyme is story and exploring everything that we got. And even more so we exploring everything that they not. These are the glory days of lyricists forever. We plot. Toby Tierman, right? You have the same last name as Kyle, right? We do, yeah. Uh, and uh, I'm all right. Just pardon me while I scrunch around on this faux leather sofa. <laughs> so, yep. can, can you hear all the noise that makes? Totally. I'm trying to decide yeah. if I should lean back or what. <laughs> yeah, you get comfortable, okay. and, and people will adjust. I'm feeling pretty uh, good. Okay, you can uh, turn up your headphones. We're we're comfortable. Uh, we're doing a video. But don't worry about the video because that's just bonus content. So don't feel like you need to direct your, you know, your uh, energy toward the camera. I, I'm I'm not used to being on this side of the camera, yeah. so I'm gonna. It's, it feels awkward. Yeah, I feel you like orienting yourself that way and like, no, I'm over here, dude. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Toby is uh, what the fuck are you, Toby? A cinematographer, a documentary filmmaker, a producer. director, producer. Yeah. I mean, I feel like in all this, around in this media dude. Time and age. A lot of people in in my field wear a lot of hats. So yeah. I kind of um, fashion myself one of all of those things. Right. And kind of a fusion. Right. And you're doing from you just showed me some of your work online uh, for people who want to check it out if you're near a computer. Lensfirefilms.com. Yeah. Is that the site? And then your personal site? TobyTierman.com. TobyTierman.com. And the Tierman is T H I E R M A N N. Yep. Two N's, right? Lensfire's L E N S Fire Films. Lensfire Films, yeah. Is that is that what it's called when you get a flash from a from a light in your lens? You get a what's that called? That's a, a flare. Lens flare. Oh, yeah. uh, flare, that's I right. I think the basis yeah. for the lens fire is just kind of like sparking inspiration. Right. In and filmmaking. Right. So you're how old are you? Thirty something. Thirty four. Thirty four. Have is this been a lifelong thing? Did you grow up? You grew up around cameras. Your family has some connection to film. And we we do. Our father, both Kyle and mine, is a um, Academy Award nominated filmmaker. 
documentary filmmaker. Your father is? Yeah. Oh, and, I didn't know that. I knew your uncle. And, and our uncle is a, uh, is a Academy Award, multi Academy Award winning production designer. Right. Who's worked with Amazing. Steven Spielberg yeah. and a yeah. lot of films, Avatar He's and Lincoln. Lincoln, which I actually got to work on with him as his assistant, which yeah. was an amazing experience. And um, yeah, that and that his name's Rick Carter. He's a he's a fantastic, creative, and inspiring all around dude. And our, our so father, he's your father's brother? No, he is uh, Kimberly's brother, Kyle's mom. Oh, my so you've got brother. you've got film coming from both every sides direction. Of the yeah, family. so we were both yeah. raised um, at, with our father making documentary films. Right, and um, and I, I think more than anything, that just kind of gave us the the um, the notion that it was okay. To go in that direction, right? Because I feel like a lot of people are trapped based off of their parents' intentions, and yeah, it, which is funny because I don't think our dad ever told us to be filmmakers. Right. He just told us to do what we wanted to do and do what we found interest in. Yeah. Um, but it's true. You can, you know, if you're from fucking Illinois and your father owns a shoe store and you think I want to make that'd be cool to make films. It's like, yeah, it'd be cool to be an astronaut too, man. You know, right. like get real, you know? Totally. Whereas if you're from, you know, I guess your dad grew up in Topanga, Malibu, right. that kind of area, and you guys are up in Santa Cruz, pretty close, same sort of vibe. You know people in that business, it's not that unrealistic uh, an option. Yeah, and you can borrow some equipment, and right. you, can, you can apprentice, and you can learn, and, right. and I think that that's the best way to get into filmmaking, and yeah. filmmaking is a very relationship-based business. I agree. Someone wrote to me recently, you know, I get these young guys writing a lot for career advice, which, career advice, which is such a joke, because I haven't had a job since the 90s, and you know, I'm like a fucking roustabout idiot. Um, but uh, he was like, "Hey, I want to make films, and I'm thinking USC Film School or NYU, and NYU is really expensive, and maybe USC." And and you know, and of course, I prefaced it by saying, "I have no fucking idea what I'm talking about." But from what I've seen, it's about who you know. And tell me if I'm wrong. I hope I'm not. But you try to get a gig on a movie nobody gives a fuck what film school you went to it's what have you done who have you worked with you know what can you show me a degree do people care about degrees uh i mean i think that there's a million different ways to to arrive um in the film industry so i'm not going to say one one way is better than the other right i i think that you can by going to school and focusing on something if that if that's which if that's the recipe you need to be able to really dive in deep into it yeah and you know practice learn some technical skills and build some relationships because maybe some of those relationships that you might have for the rest of your career were founded in in film school Could um, be, right. uh, you know other than that it's you know Ultimately, it's what you do. Right. right? Did you go to film school? I, I, I studied media in college. I went to UC San Diego. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I actually decided not to go to film school post school because I was like, well, I'm just going to get started doing some stuff and I can right. pick up a camera and have access to some of that stuff. Right. And I was just going to start. Kind and of to be fair, you already had some pretty good contacts. Right. So that aspect of it, you don't really need to pay for. 100%. Yeah. But I think more than anything, it's like the motivation. So like, I, I feel like someone's going to be successful if they go to film school and they're really motivated, or if they come to Hollywood or anywhere and they're really motivated and you're willing to yeah. build those relationships, put in the work, and initially think that maybe you might not get paid anything at all. Right. And if that's worth it to you because you have the passion for it, then I think right. it, you know, it'll be great. Yeah, my feeling about school in general is 
you're better off uh, finding someone who does what you want to do, who's willing to let you hang around. You're better off investing the money and paying your bills and, you know, and hanging around for free and being productive and useful and get shit done. So they go, yeah, you know what, maybe I'll hire you six months down the road. You're better off doing that, that expenditure than the expenditure of school. And I think part of the reason for that is that I think that people think that if I just pay for the school, it'll all happen for me. Whereas the kind of people who are like, I'm going to go to L.A. and I'm going to, you know, reach out to this dude and I'm going to make myself so valuable to him for free that he's going to see that I really give a shit. That's a different kind of person. I, I completely agree with you. And that's, I, that's actually what happened to me. Mm. So, um, you know, I, mean, I had some experience doing a number of different things, working for some different online mediums um, like Gore's network, um, current right. TV, right. you know, and I was I was shooting stuff, and I but I wanted to get deeper into really understanding the industry. So um, you know, I went to uh, a, a close friend of mine now, but you know, like a producer that I respected and knew through some other people. Uh, his name's Patrick Newell, and I and I I called him and I said I'd love to sit down with you for lunch and and talk with you about what you do, and I'm really interested in 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 you know the career, and. Um, I want to get into the industry. Essentially, it's what I said. So it's classic Hollywood. He set up a meeting somewhere in in, uh, in Hollywood at like a you know whatever the, the little like Hollywood coffee shop thing. And I go in and we sit down. And he's got this like he's from Brooklyn, so he's got this like I don't know what that accent is, but it's like you know. So he's like, so you want to get into the film industry, eh? <laughs> you know? And I'm like, sure. Basically, my approach was, look, I. I I want to learn more about it and I'm willing to do anything yeah. and you, you don't even have to pay me is what I told him. I said, I'll just come out I will, and I'll give it my all and you don't have to pay me if you don't want to and until you think that I'm worth something that warrants being paid. With that said, any, any weathered and like, you know, knowledgeable producer will probably always pay you because film industry is really hard hmm. and eventually people are going to want to quit if there's not some compensation yeah because especially with like because it's not all pretty you know it's not all glamour and glitz and like you're going to yeah. be doing pulling some you know 15 to 17 hour days when you're really trying to get it done and um it's gonna hurt but then at the end you forget all that and it was a great experience yeah so so what, what happened there is we had that lunch and and i uh i was 21 at the time and i i went back to santa cruz i was having um dinner with my mom on her birthday and my stepdad and I get this phone call from Patrick, and he's in uh, Louisiana. He just like hit the ground on a oh, on a feature right. film that he was producing with Billy Friedkin and right. Caleb Deschanel, and starring Matthew McConaughey. And like the whole thing was wasn't quite like set up right. Like the pre-producing of it, some stuff had fallen through, and he just needed he needed some people he could trust, and he and he wanted some extra hands. And he called me and he said, "I want you on a plane in two days." And uh, I, I said, sure. I didn't even really know what I was going to be doing, and I, you know, I brought my camera with me, and I, uh, and I just flew out to Louisiana, to New Orleans, and spent four months there. Four months. Yeah. Um, maybe maybe three and a half. With two days but, notice. Right. I just well, I was like, fuck it. You know, yeah. here we go. And it was great. It was a great experience because um, since I didn't really run into it with like a, a specific title, it was an opportunity to do anything that needed to be done. Right. And um, I think Patrick respected that, so he also gave me tasks that he that he thought I would enjoy. Right. So I, uh, you know, I got to 
you know, sit in the in the post production facility with uh, with Friedkin and Caleb Deschanel wow. when they're reviewing like dailies. Wow. I got to uh, I got to be on set every day. I got to shoot some behind the scenes. I, I shot interviews with Matthew McConaughey, Emil Hirsch, Thomas Hayden Church, mm. but like huge actors. Yeah. And we were and I just got to wing it. You know, that's fantastic. And it was epic at twenty one. Right. Yeah. And you know what's so cool about that? And I think this is something young people should really focus on too. Is that you know you're 21 you got you've got very little to offer you know you got no experience very little skills what do you have you have enthusiasm you have energy you have flexibility and you have freedom right and, and follow through if you're good you that's the, that's well, the, I think yeah. that you have the opportunity yeah everyone has the opportunity to follow through right and I think that like yeah. that's one thing I tell anyone that's getting into the film industry because like it's if you say if you say you're going to do something and you do it then you start to become valuable right. to people because it's a no shit business and it's right. like if you say you're going to cover something and it's not covered you're essentially worthless to me or anyone else right. because you just dropped that ball right and and that's when everything starts to fall apart right yeah 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 it's interesting i mean i mean you know think about that guy what was his name patrick patrick Noel. so patrick's like fuck i need people who can i call He's not going to call a dude who's 40 who has two kids and a wife and, you know, he's involved in other projects. Like, that guy's not going to drop everything and fly to New Orleans. Right. He's right? going to call the kid that just said he'd do anything. Exactly. Totally. Yeah. So you, you're, you're leveraging the one asset you've really got or one of the few assets you really have. Yeah. And the, and the yeah. trick there is to pick the right people that aren't going to just take advantage of you, chew you up and spit right. you out because I think there is a lot of that right. in the industry. There's like, you know, there's plenty of people that will hire you as a PA for a hundred bucks a day or 50 bucks a day, which is like painful wages to survive in Los Angeles or anywhere <laughs> yeah. else. Right. Yeah. And you're going to be working 12 hour days yeah. and their plan might be just to have you be that until you quit. Right. But maybe you need that experience to then move laterally to someone else. But it's, exactly. but it's definitely better if you can pick the type of people right. that want to foster a relationship, help you grow, right. and see you as the potential of being an asset to them in the future right. as well. Right. And Patrick's offered me multiple jobs since then. Yeah. And uh, you know, I've, I've wanted to take some of them and haven't been able to just based off of other projects and whatnot. Right. Right. But well, and, and I went to remote, uh, Romania with him uh, a couple years after that for a Shia LaBeouf movie to work on that for about three weeks. What was the movie? Uh, the Necessary Death of Charlie Countryman. Is it out? Yeah. It's like an indie, um, you know, it's probably like a, it was probably like a $5 million movie or something uh, like that, but right. totally. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's a strange film. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you do a lot of independent stuff? Um, I mean, I think that the work that I do falls into a lot of different categories and kind yeah. of as I've gone from, I mean, I'm with this is 13 years prior to when I kind of started doing that stuff. Um, I've done a lot of documentary work. I've done a lot of uh, behind the scenes work for big feature films. So I get to do a lot of stuff for Universal, DreamWorks. Um, so does every big feature film have a behind the scenes operation going on? Usually they do. And is it, who's it for? Who's the audience? So it's a marketing, essentially the, the, the behind the scenes component of a feature is the, is in the marketing world because um, by creating that additional content, it allows the studio to be able to um, 
let people know that the film's coming out, drop teasers. I mean, kind of like we're in an age where social media and um, people's interconnectivity to to all of the things that are coming down the pipe for them is is amazing. And that's really like upped the importance of this type of content. Like people mm. are Instagramming, people are vining, people are Twittering, people are YouTubing. The word of mouth thing. Right. Yeah. So so it's like, you know, for us, for, for Universal or DreamWorks or Sony or any of these other you know companies to start telling people about a film that might be coming out in three to six months that far in advance they they probably haven't even cut the trailer yet they haven't right. done any of those things people are going to start talking about it and start thinking about it right. and that's going to allow for them to have bigger returns in the box office and the amount of the money that they spend yeah. documenting that stuff is minuscule right. in comparison to what's being spent on the film. It's like an author who sells T-shirts uh, advertising a book he hasn't finished for four years. Right. Is that something you do? <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Genius. I've been selling these t-shirts. I mean, this a guy who listens to the podcast sent me the design, and he's like, hey, you might want to use this for a t-shirt, because I'd been talking about the book, and it's a great, it's this sad chimp, I don't know if you've seen it, and uh, it's like a sad chimp with an iPhone and a Big Mac, and it says civilized to death. I want one. Yeah, I'll give you one. And, uh, <laughs> And uh, so I put them online, and people have been buying. I've sold thousands of them, but then the book kept getting delayed and delayed. And now I'm this fucking douchebag who's got all these T-shirts out in the world. I haven't finished the fucking book. Um, so anyway, it would have been really smooth if if it had worked as intended, building buzz. But instead, I'm I'm just looking like a shithead. Maybe you need to do a lunchbox when you actually drop the a book. A lunchbox. Yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> Bring back old school. People keep asking me to do stickers. Like, do people buy stickers? I don't what think do you they do buy with them. They use them. To stick on things? Like what? On other people's cars? What water do you do bottles. with a sticker? Oh, water bottles. Yeah, that's true. I feel like the water bottle trend is back. Like the coffee cup, water bottle. It's yeah. Like, no, that's good. Yeah, Americans are very... Uh, I mean, I don't want to get, you rant too much about Americans, of course, since you are one. I guess I am one, too. But Americans have this thing about being hydrated. It's like, hey, don't forget to hydrate, bro. Like, why, why are Americans so worried about hydration? I've been to, you've been to North Africa. Moroccans aren't walking around going, don't forget to hydrate, hydrate buddy. And they are living in the fucking Sahara. I think Americans have a weird thing going on. With I, their, just, I think it's their fears. That, I agree with that. There's definitely a lot of fear, but I mean, it's probably not the worst thing to support. It seems like it'd be good if we just drank more water. I mean, if you're in Europe and you see someone walking down the street with a water bottle in their hand, you know it's a fucking American. You know, right. got to take my water bottle everywhere I go. Yeah, yeah. If it's a cappuccino, then yeah, it's a cappuccino, an exactly. <laughs> Little glass of champagne or something. French. Just stop and get a glass of water. Relax, buddy. Uh, anyway, uh, so get, talking about, you know, your, uh, I mean, your career path is, is very interesting, but what I'm, I'm fascinated by is like, you and I have had dinner a few nights here. By the way, we're in Costa Rica at the Rhythmia Life Advancement Center. We are an amazing place. Amazing place. And I have to say, I feel like a virus that, um, you know, has infected your family. I'm just going from one of you to another here. It's, I've done, I did the podcast with Kyle. Uh, and then Kyle invited me down here, met you, your mother. I mean, you and guys. My best friend. Kaj, that's yeah. right. I did the podcast with Kaj and, already. And business partner. I, I shoot a lot of my stuff with Kaj. Yeah. Venture journalism and, and um, yeah. you know, investigative content. Kaj, let's talk about Kaj for a minute. Sure. Easy. What a fucking cool dude. Very cool. 
I mean, Kaj confuses me. I imagine he confuses a lot of people because he was he was just so sweet. We were talking about um, you know his his thing and how uh, how important President Kennedy has been in his life because I didn't know this, but Kennedy started the Peace Corps program and the the SEAL, the I guess the Navy SEALs or maybe the elite, you know, the the Rangers Special as well. Forces stuff. Yeah, cool. at the same in the same congressional act, and. Uh, and he he's a, he was a Navy SEAL for seven years, I believe. And then he said, you know, sometimes I think about joining the Peace Corps too, just to sort of wrap it all together. And bring it. he's such a kind, gentle, friendly, unassuming dude. And and he's probably like the most badass motherfucker I've ever hung out with, <laughs> you know. But you would never know that if you met him in a bar. He's not like a big, muscle bound, you know, kind of uh, macho kind of guy. No. But man, and and I, I mean, I think that there is that side of the special forces. But I think you know, uh, especially in the like the officers and whatnot, uh, they, they, I don't think being like the the muscle guy is really what that's developed into. I think they're right. like they're like precision, intelligent. They're using tools, right? And they understand exactly yeah. what they're doing, right? And there's also a lot of uh, sort of independent thinking. He and I talked about this a bit, how the special forces are different from regular military where it's just follow your orders and shut the fuck up, where these guys are like, we're going to put you in this situation and you're going to have to figure out what to do, you know, once you're there. Right. And so they've got a lot of tools and a lot of training that then they need to bring to bear in the way that's they determine is most appropriate. It's right, which very is very interesting. Which I think helps them in their professional lives once they leave the service. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I know it has for Kosh. Yeah, so, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when we're, you know, we go, we travel to the ends of the earth to do documentary film work, and it's kind of the same thing. We're just not getting shot at most of the time. So have you been in situations where you're like, Kosh is pulling my ass out of this. Thank God he's got that training. Uh Maybe. Well, he got us out of the Philippines on like a on, on a, some crazy uh, plane by just like knowing the commander randomly when he used to be in the Philippines doing like some ins- like some work with like anti drug um, stuff with his with his unit. So I mean, there's like I feel like it's more there's random situations where based off of Kaj's like previous life as a Navy SEAL. Uh, he has these contacts mm. all over the world right. and they just like pop up when we're trying when we're in the middle of doing like an investigative journalism thing or, right. or a documentary and, and like he'll you know and then they'll he'll chat and all of a sudden we're we're flying through customs or we're right. we're on a helicopter or we're going down on a nuclear submarine underneath <laughs> the polar ice caps i mean all of those things have happened yeah. yeah so um it's been it's been a wild ride and and he's, yeah. he's a great dude too so you were working with him for vice We've done, I, I'm freelance, so Kaj was at Vice for the last two years, and you know when he was at CNN, when he was at Current, when he was at Vice, you know I'll do jobs with him depending on if it works with my schedule, and and right. um, and now we're gonna we're developing a show for Netflix, which is cool. So. This is the. Can you talk about this? I'm not even sure. Yeah. Okay. He told me about it, but I don't think we talked about it on the air, so maybe we'll we'll leave that. But it's coming soon. Yeah. And it's pretty interesting. Uh, and it's a multi-season thing. Multi, multi-episode initially, but who uh, knows? Yeah, good. Okay. Yeah. Um, and and a lot of the stuff that you guys have done together has been in, like, 
kind of cut uh, on the edge, like conflict zones and... Yeah, all of, I mean, we've been to Afghanistan to... Uh, what was that like? Tell me about Afghanistan. It was, it was wild. We were there um, doing a, a project for USAID, for the United States government, kind of, um, which I showed you. Oh, right, yeah, and, that was um, part of that. And yeah, we, we flew into Kabul with a really small team. We weren't able to like be insured, so we were riding around in just like a, you know, Forerunner, you know, like there's like two ways to go into Afghanistan, at least when we went. Mm -hmm. And it was either you go like armored convoy or you have, um, you know, basically just you fly into the radar. Right. So we had an amazing fixer. So that, you're either you're either protected or you're invisible. Yeah. Yeah. So it was we had a four man camera team, which is a, the way we like to do a lot of our work. Right. So we'll travel around the world with, you know, two you know, cinema cameras. We had two reds with some amazing lenses and, but a really lightweight package. Like, you no know, sound every, guy, no sound guy on that one. But I mean, that's primarily because that, that piece is set to, you know, speeches that have been oh. given by, by presidents. Right. So, um, you know, we basically, by flying under the radar and some of that stuff, you're able to kind of create the, you know, foster these real interactions with people. When, like, when an entire camera crew or five cars shows up at a location, especially if it's Syrian refugees or it's like, you know, uh, if the disaster in the Philippines or any of those things, you're not going to get a real interaction from the people that you're, you're with, right? And I think that a lot of the content we try to do, it, we, we go after that like emotion, that feeling, that like validity. Right. And, um, it, and it requires a certain amount of intimacy in those situations. Right. So I think the, the lesson there is you stay lightweight and you, you keep the crew small, but you make sure that the quality is still there. Yeah. And um, man, I think that's kind of a niche that you know, over the last 15 years that I've been doing this, it's been something that I think we've learned how to do pretty well. Yeah, I think that's really important. It's kind of like the equivalent of podcasting, uh, you know, compared to mainstream media. Right. Authenticity is is what it's all about. Right. And yeah. people know that. You can feel it in what you yeah in, in the content. And I think that the the user or the viewer or whatever you want to call the person that's actually absorbing this content on the other end, they uh, they're so savvy. They completely understand what they're plugging into. Everyone has their own 4K camera on their phone these days, mm -hmm. you know. So it's like people are creating this stuff themselves, and it's um, if you can create it in a, in a in a way that they understand that you were just there experiencing it. It's like you know, it's almost a verite is a word that's used for that kind of documentary filmmaking in a in a, in a right. way, and. Um, that's uh, I think it's I think it's more and more popular and you start looking it's even fused into the commercial space now so it's like you know I, I work along with a number of different commercial directors that um, you know we go out with the same model it's a small crew and you're interacting with real people but it's also connected to an initiative that a brand's doing or something right. like that and that content is more and more popular um, which is kind of I think it's a cool space yeah it's funny how the the commercial it's kind of like how real estate follows like gay people and artists, right? You know, into like oh Soho, it's nobody would live there except gay guys and artists, and then it's cool, and then you know, then suddenly the price goes up, and then the gay people and the artists move out. It it seems like media follows authenticity that way. You know, reality TV was a reaction to you know scripted bullshit, and then now reality TV is scripted bullshit, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. So on some levels, they, it spoils it, but hopefully that's not the case in this but it, current but, iteration. Yeah, but I mean, neighborhoods are different from authenticity because authenticity 
isn't in a place. It just is what it is, right? So it feels like, I don't know, there's a, there's a, a musician I, I was just thinking of, Alu Dara, I think is his name. And uh, he's a really good guitarist, sort of blues, funky blues guy. And all his records are one take. He doesn't do multiple takes because that's his thing. Like that's authenticity. Right. Or um, very beat. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Kerouac. They. They. Records. They were that as well. Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, the hippies. Tape, taping and, pieces of paper together and running it through typewriter nonstop right. typing. You know, right. and then burning it at the end. Kerouac. Yeah. Typing totally. on a roll. Very, yeah. It's very. Uh, it's, it's inspired. You ever see? Speaking of this whole sort of merging of reality and and art. There's a film, uh, I think it was made in 1968, called um, uh, Medium Cool. You ever heard of this movie? No. You know Haskell Wexler? He was a great cinematographer. Okay. He just died a couple right, years right. ago. Yeah. Uh, worked on lots of big movies, Silence of the Lambs, I think, whatever. Lots of big movies. It was his first film. He was a TV cameraman in Chicago for like a local news station. And he was young, early 20s, I think. And because I met him, I must have met him 10 years ago, and he was probably in his early 70s. So, um, so the, the story is that everyone knew in 1968 that the Democratic Convention was going to be a shit show because the, the war protesters, the Vietnam War protesters, were all saying, we're going to like shut down the convention, we're going to be in the streets, millions of us, you know. And Mayor Daley of Chicago said, well, fuck you guys, the cops are going to come, you know, I'm going to call in the National Guard if I have to, we're going to keep order no matter what. So there was this like, ooh, it's going to be bad, you know, this is going to be bad. And 68 was a rough year. Kennedy was killed, Martin Luther King was killed. It was right. like, you know, fire in the streets kind of thing. Well before my time. But yeah, in my, I mean, I was six, so I don't remember it. But um, so here's this guy, Haskell Wexler, and he sees this coming, right? And he's like, and he comes up with this idea of writing a screenplay, hiring actors, and the story takes place at the convention, the Democratic Convention in 1968 in Chicago, which he knows is going to be a historical moment. Right. Before it happens. Awesome. And he, he, so he films these guys, and, and the movie is largely about how media changes reality because when the cameras show up, the protesters gather, and then it looks like there's a bigger protest, and then other people when get When his cameras show up. When any cameras okay. show up, right? Cool. Um, so what he does is he has these actors going through the crowds of protesters, tear gas, police. He's filming them. They're real. It's real history happening with his actor embedded in it. It's awesome. It's a fucking crazy film. Yeah, you should check it out. It's I'd love to. it's really interesting and very thoughtful about this interaction of of how reality, the depiction of reality changes the reality. It's, the Heisenberg it's uncertainty also, principle. It's also a, an amazing example of budget filmmaking. Oh yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, Super it's low huge, budget. Yeah, it's a huge amount of production design. Extras. I mean, that, you <laughs> yeah, want to talk nothing. about the stuff that makes these movies expensive? Exactly. It's when you want to have 300 extras in a scene right. to recreate a to historical re moment. Yeah. I mean, or something. when we were doing battle scenes in Lincoln, uh -huh. it was like you know, that's 500 people showing up that yeah. all need to go through hair and makeup, uh, and all yeah. have, you know, and it takes a really long time to execute. And then it smoke. starts raining, and you're fucked till tomorrow. Right. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. 
I did mean, you get? Did you guys get like Civil War reenactors? We we did. Yeah, we had. I mean, everything under the sun. They even had. They had put a call out in Virginia about six months or a year prior to filming that said that they were going to be looking for bearded uh, extras to be uh-huh. in the film. So you know. So you I'll, could you had time to so, grow a beard. Exactly. So all these all these you know <laughs> all these people that were excited about trying to be on it yeah. grew these massive like huge beards right yeah. and then you know come some of the filming days there started to be this kind of like you know echo among like the you know the producers and and probably Stephen or any of the other people making the the, the high level call you know saying it feels like this is just going to be a bearded movie because everyone has a beard. So they just started shaving these people's beards on the spot. So like, this, mm-hmm. you know, some, some guy would have been growing his beard for a year, yeah. probably really proud of this like huge red mane or yeah. whatever, you know, yeah. and uh, they'd show up for hair and makeup in the morning and, the, and like, you know, the makeup artists just at a whim would just be like, okay, you know, 50% of these guys are going in clean shaven, you know, or yeah. something. So they just hack the beards off in the moment. Hey, at least they still got to be in the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's no, cool. totally. They were in the movie. Yeah. Or to some regard, it's hard to know because when you're an extra yeah. like that, you might be so deep in the background oh, yeah. that you never get really actually noticed or yeah. seen. Yeah. I got to be an extra in that movie too. Oh, really? Yeah, it's fun. To grow a beard? I, uh, I had, what did, I think I grew like a mustache and I think they shaved it. So I was one of those people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. No, they uh, they just told me that the casting director told me I had period hair. So he let me kind of like get into one of the scenes. And it happened to be one of the scenes that I worked on helping to design mm. with um, the art director that I was assisting. And uh, it was uh, I was a cartographer in the war department, oh. which was like a, an epic scene where Dan Day-Lewis is kind of talking to uh, Gideon Wells and Stanton and then like, little old me standing in between them. Oh, really? Yeah. You're, right, you're right up there in the yeah, foreground. Yeah, yeah. even made it in the commercial. Really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> or the, the trailer. So you have an IMDB page, I no, guess? No, not really. No? No, I, just, I mean, it was just like, it was for fun, right? It was, yeah. it was a caveat and it was, a, it was an awesome exter- experience. But at one point, I was standing there and, you know, it was like a shot, reverse shot. Dan Day-Lewis, like amazing, one of the best actors in the world is yeah. there delivering an awesome, I mean, he was so in it the whole time. It was really incredible. He never broke character, but you know, Steven looks over at myself and, and Gideon and Stan, and they're like real actors. I'm just like, you know, an extra or whatever. And he, he points at me and he's like, you. And I'm like, me? He's like, look really interested. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm gonna chalk that up as-, uh, as I took that direction. Was, that, I took direction from yeah. Steven Spielberg. That's yeah. a bucket, that's a bucket list. Yeah, I definitely, right look interested. And since then, I'm, I've actually been been able to do shoot interviews, multiple interviews with him. I just finished a documentary about him. Uh-huh. Um, Oh, that's right, with um, the... John Williams. John Williams. So, yeah, it's a, it was an awesome yeah. experience, and it's basically for their, their third compilation album. Um, and John and Steven have been working together since the, the beginning of Steven's career. Mm. And it's the longest uh, professional relationship that he's had. Jaws was his first film? No, he, there was... Oh, a, the trucker thing. Yeah, that, that was... Yeah. That fucking weird trucker movie. Right. Like, the trucker just was... It's a terror movie. I forget what that was called. I saw that though. Yeah. I'm blanking yeah. on the name at the moment, yeah. but it'll come to me. Yeah. But yeah, so um, we we got to spend a number of days with them and the scoring and and produced a piece for for Sony that um, that I thought was really cool. Yeah, and it's just great amazing. listening to the, these two legends like talk about their path as as these creative powerhouses. Yeah, because um, 
you know, one of the really amazing things that John said was that, you know, he, he's, he just saw himself as a worker and not that he was going to, I mean, these guys are legends at this point, right? They've, they've created some of the most impactful film and cinema and, and, you know, but, you know, he said, I'm just a worker. I just show up every day, just doing a job, you know, and Steven's the same way. And, and, you know, we look, you know, I, if you would have told me at the beginning that I would have created this body of work and we would have done all of these things, I would have told you that you were crazy. Right. But looking back on it, it's, it's really incredible. But, you know, that wasn't the approach that we had. And I think you can learn a lot from that as, as someone that wants, you know, to be a creative and a creator. It's like there's a lot of pressure early on in your life to do something grand or amazing or whatever. Yeah. But like really, it's like just focus on what you're doing right now. Right. Make sure it's something that you're interested in and that's interesting and then stack that on top of the next one and it'll build. And I mean, the two of them are an example of the best possible way it could build into anything. It's like a massive pyramid or in Egypt, yeah. you know, or something yeah. incredible. But, you know, I think that either way, that's the best approach towards not getting overwhelmed early on right. or, you know, and just Yeah, you're trying to climb a mountain. You can't be staring at the top of the mountain all the time. It's a great analogy yeah. for it. Yeah, you just got to look down at your feet and don't trip over shit. Yeah, or don't fall off a cliff on the yeah. way. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I had Wim Hof on this podcast, you know him? I, I've, I've listened to his podcast or podcasts about him and he's very inspiring and I was actually sitting next to a guy here last night who has gone through his his training oh really yeah um, yeah i want to ask him more about it so yeah it sounds awesome yeah whim's funny I, I have a friend i was camping with a couple of weeks ago who uh we were talking he's like oh whim Hof. yeah i know whim off i heard him on your podcast but i met him once i was like really where'd you meet him he's like well i was climbing mount everest and uh you know i, I heard the stories about this some Dutch dude who was climbing in shorts. And I was like, fuck that guy. You know, because they're all these, it's like all these people now, like on their honeymoon, they're going to summit Mount Everest and, you know, or the first fucking, you know, uh, Samoan, you're going to climb it backwards. I mean, there's all this like silly kind of be the first to do this or that. Right, and right. It, it, he felt like it trivializes the experience and it's done, whatever. So he had a really sort of like, yeah, fuck that, whatever that Dutch guy is. So then he's up, uh, I don't remember how many thousand feet, but like way the fuck up, right? And 20-something thousand feet. Yeah, base camps are just a, just uh, just under 18,000. My girlfriend was just there. Oh, oh, good, two, yeah. Two weeks ago. So he was like 24,000 feet? Does that make sense? Is that like the beginning of the death zone? It's probably towards the top. I mean, I think anything above base camp sounds pretty sketchy. Yeah. But, um, but yeah. So he was like, you know, plodding up and he had his full, you know, super high-tech Gore-Tex, right. you know, everything and all this stuff. And he sees this guy coming down in shorts and, and they sat down and talked for a while and, and he says, he's the coolest guy ever. And he says, so he's like, you know, first of all, like I totally reassessed my sense of the guy because he was so friendly and so cool. And, and, and he said, so how high did you get? And he said, wow, I, you know, 25 and a half thousand or something. He says, so why did you turn back? And he said, Wim Hof looked at him. He said, because I was fucking cold, man. <laughs> Good question. <laughs> I was fucking cold. We're in shorts, man. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine. It's like 
<laughs> the coldest place I've been is the North Pole with Kaj. Was yeah. that in the sub? Or was yeah. that a different trip? Yeah, yeah. And on this, well, first we we flew out to the Arctic ice, like kind of to the thing called Ice X, which is something that the U.S. military puts on. And where is that? That's on the polar ice cap, like near where the quote unquote North Pole is. Uh, they have like a fake North Pole there. We took right. some funny pictures. Um, but and then we met the sub. But it was it was cold. I mean, but probably not even anywhere near where you get when you're up on the top of Everest. Yeah. Wow, what was that? Tell me about that trip. Who was that for? It was for CNN. It was a piece on the the, um, the global, like the politics around the Arctic. So, oh, like the opening up the Northwest Passage and well, shipping. And less about oil. that. It was more about kind of like the battle for resources at the top of the world. Right. So I think really what, what's interesting about the North Pole, I mean, this is a piece we did several years ago, and it's still relevant. Shane Smith did a similar piece on Vice recently. And... Um, you know, it's that the there's all these countries that claim ownership of the Arctic, and the Arctic is really like the last like un like owned area on the planet. And it's and, not clear how those national boundaries right are. very disputed. You know, because no one gave a shit because there's nothing up there, until and there's no then. access initially. Yeah. But now more and more, and then yeah. the people are realizing that there's a lot of resources up there from like water to food, mm. or I mean water to oil to yeah. diamonds, you know, yeah. other other things. Yeah. So um, you know, Russia planted a flag on the bottom of the ocean that kind of started the U.S. off, and then China's got subs up there, and then so. Um, Fuck China. They have no. Come on, it's Canada, Russia, and maybe the U.S. with their and Iceland. Right. You got to be bordering. I think there's Twelve it. countries that claim some form of ownership. Right. Which it seems like a lot. Yeah. But um. But yeah. So the U.S. goes up there and kind of uh, they they have a couple subs. They have some you know they have a little base and they do it like once every two years for a couple months to kind of practice their capabilities. Mm. Um, so anyway, we, we ended up there and then we flew, we got a helicopter to a place where the sub was gonna come through the ice and we were literally standing on the ice and the sub came through something like three to five feet of solid ice. Really? And lifted up through the ice and then uh, and then the- How far away from you? We, I, we were probably like, I mean, I don't know, like from here to the other side of that building, like, you know, so that's 50, nothing. 50, 75 yards, maybe. And you and you f- must feel it on the ice. This oh yeah, the whole the whole ground's shaking. I mean, it's one solid block, so like everything's shaking. I'm standing there with a tripod, like trying to not blow the shot, like, you know, because you're freezing. But then at the same time, you're like, oh, I hope the batteries don't don't freak and what out. What if they I'm fuck up by a few feet? They'll come up right under you. Well, it's crazy actually. They what what you do is you draw an X with a shovel on the surface of the ice, and when the sub's underneath, it can see that X because of like the fact that it's a strange contour because the light's coming through. So it can actually see the X that you draw on the surface just because it like it's an irregular shape. And then they shoot for that X and they, they, they hit it by like a couple feet, you know? I mean, that's kind of what they do is this precision. So, and then, yeah. and then they basically, they come straight up, they increase the buoyancy and it, the sail of the sub is what actually penetrates. Right. <clears throat> and then they repel off the top in these crazy orange, you know, snowsuits, and then they t- take a chainsaw and they chainsawed the ice that was sitting on top of the hatch, <clears throat> and then uh, and then the captain popped out. And we got to shake his hand. He's like, "Come on down." And we're like, "Here we go." So we just went down on the you know into the sub for two days, and we wow. cruising around at like 250 feet below the below the ice. Huh. It was awesome. It was crazy. I mean, we did. Kaj and I were doing workouts in between the Tomahawk missiles because that's like the only place on the ship where they can't like put something. So that's like the only, pl- so like the, one of the guys, 
was like, hey, you guys want to go do a workout this afternoon? Because like we have a pretty lax schedule. We're in there shooting the interviews and stand-ups and walking around and kind of doing a story. But like we're not on, you know, the sub. Like, you know, these guys yeah. are working nonstop. They've got, yeah, yeah. seriously. So, so we had like some time to, to enjoy ourselves and it was cool. Wow. Yeah. That's Don't, crazy. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that they have to come up for is food. Because the sub can, can make their own water. They can make their own oxygen. It's it's nuclear powered, so they have their own energy. Right. So it's really uh, it's food. Is they don't have like a greenhouse or anything in there. Not not growing weed. Yeah, that would be it. (laughs) Maybe nowadays. Yeah, it's legal. It's grow weed. You ever see uh, Encounters at the End of the World? The the Werner Herzog thing about Antarctica. I haven't seen it. Uh, It's wonderful. It's really wonderful. You know, he goes. It starts off. He's like. you know, his typical voiceover, he's like, yeah, some, you know, some foundation gave him a million dollars to make a movie about Antarctica. And he said... That'd be nice. He said, uh, I told them I will not make another movie about fucking penguins. <laughs> right? So he goes to Antarctica. And it, my sense, uh, maybe he said this explicitly or maybe it was just my sense from watching it, but um, there was a guy named Henry Kaiser who was a kind of a famous musician in the 70s, the Henry Kaiser band. And he stopped being a musician and he got really into underwater photography, specializing in under ice photography. I've, I'm into underwater photography lately. I well, just bought a dive housing. It's super awesome. Check out Henry Kaiser. Yeah. Man. Apparently he's like one of the best. So uh, Herzog, and he's a friend of Herzog. So they agreed to meet down there and a lot of the film would be about the life that lives under the ice in Antarctica. That's great. And, but then the rest of the film, Herzog didn't know what he was going to do. He was just winging it, right? And what it ended up being was about, the other part was about the people who are in Antarctica. Like, who are these people? Who ends up working at this base station in Antarctica? Who's, who's like the, the mechanic who fixes the trucks? Who's the guy who runs the greenhouse? Who's the person making the vodka? They make vodka down there. <laughs> I don't remember that part. But I did, the reason I thought of it was when he interviews the guy who has the greenhouse, the guy, you know this dude is stoned. Like, you, you just know he's stoned. And he's showing you where they grow the vegetables and all this. But you know there's a room that, like, okay, we're not going to talk about this, Werner, you know. Because these guys are, you know, they're down there in the winter. It's snowing for nine months or something. No, no. Like, authorities aren't going to be showing up anytime soon. Yeah, yeah exactly. And we're, come on, we're going to get high. You know we're getting high in Antarctica all winter. Um, but it's a great movie. It's, it's really, uh, you know... I love his films. He's, we talked about him the other day. You haven't met him personally, no. right? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's a, I, I think he would think I'm a silly romantic. Somebody asked me, like uh, some producer who was trying to pitch me on a, a documentary about Sex at Dawn, mm-hmm. and he was you know, trying to impress me as they do in Hollywood, and they're trying to get you to sign papers. Like, dude, I think we could get any director you want. Like, you, who would you want to work with? Like, just tell me who you want to work with. And I was like, Werner Herzog. He's like, yeah, I can call him. I, I got his number, I'll call him. I'm like, yeah, you call Werner Herzog. <laughs> you get Werner Herzog, I'll do it for nothing, man. I'll, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I'll buy everyone lunch every day. But anyway, Werner Herzog, if you're out there, if you're hearing this, give me a call, buddy. 
<laughs> I'll, sh I'll shoot it. I'll lens there it. There you go. Let's do you, this. I've already got all the equipment. We'll do it. Werner, Werner, all you got to do is do the voiceover. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. But I think he would think I, because I have this vision of, you know, my sort of one of my central arguments in, in the work I do writing is that we are uh, mistaken in our view that nature is you know, red in tooth and claw and that life before the state was nasty, brutish and short and that all of this is to scare us into accepting a lot of uh, this very mixed package of civilization. And so we're grateful for it. Like, you know, monkeys in the zoo are grateful to be in their cages because, oh, my God, out in the jungle, you would have been eaten by lions. Right. You know? um, and Werner really buys into that vision of the natural world, that it's all suffering and, you know, destruction and, you know, there's, there's, no, there's no joy and no compassion and it's all just horrible. So I think he, he would think I'm a silly hippie, but I think we'd have fun. Well, it sounds like a good conflict you guys can get into. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's drama. There's, there's some drama. Um, so what, what other, uh, I mean, I wanted to pick your brain just because at dinner the other night, you, you just sort of like very casually mentioned like, oh, yeah, when I was in, you know, whatever, the, under the Arctic, you know, under the ice caps and the sub. And what are some other, like what stands out? If, if someone were making a movie about you, which is, I know you're only 33 or whatever the fuck you are, you whippersnapper. Yeah, um, but I, you've been you've been around. I mean, where else? What 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 stands out for you is like, what's yeah. the hairiest situation? I'm, I'm not I'm not sure that 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 movie's there just yet. No, of but I'm working not. on it. You yeah, know? yeah. And uh, so, but I, I do feel super fortunate to have been able to to travel and and be able to film all over the world. So yeah. Um, well, it's cool too to travel. I did a lot of traveling without purpose. Right. And it's really cool to be able to travel with a purpose. You know, you're, you're going to Syria or something. You know, I'm not going to fucking fly to Syria just to check it out, you know. But if you're part of a project, there's something meaningful. You're doing something about refugees. You're, and you're, yeah. you're honing your talents. Yeah, you have a focus, you know, and I, and I think that that, and you do feel like you're, you're moving in the right direction on yeah. any of that kind of stuff. So, yeah. um, you know, I've done um, stuff all over. I have been in Syrian refugee camps, one of the largest Syrian refugee camps in Jordan, um, Kenya, Afghanistan. When we were in Afghanistan, actually, we we had the team had lunch at this uh, Lebanese restaurant, and uh, it's the middle of the day. It's a popular spot for UN workers and whatnot. And we flew from there to uh, to Kenya, and um, three days after we left, the uh, that that restaurant was attacked and. Um, a suicide bomber blew up the the front of the place and and killed the guards and then a guy with an AK came in and executed 18 UM workers and it was like one of the largest um, you know times when UN workers being killed in one in one instance it was super super sad and scary and that was felt like a close call because it was like we could have that was you know as I was planning the schedule for that trip it was like oh should we be there this day or this day it was like there's no reason that we weren't still in Kabul on those days and so I mean I think that kind of stuff happens out there quite frequently but you know that that felt like a close call um, the hotel we were staring at got attacked a couple weeks later the uh, the hospital that we've we filmed some of the neonatal like breathing stuff in um, a gunman came in and, and killed two doctors so 
that you know that was that what, was what do crazy. You think? Do you have do you get into the geopolitics or are you just like hey I'm an observer I don't have an opinion on this shit. It kind of depends on on specifically what we're talking about. But yeah, you know. I, I mean in Afghanistan, I, you know I. Kaj and I talked about this a little bit in terms of ISIS and Boko Haram and stuff. And, you know, I, fitting into my hippie romantic kind of viewpoint, I guess, I feel, I, I don't, do you believe in evil? That's a great question. Um, I, I don't think that people are inherently evil. I think that, like, circumstances can um, can make the other feel like they're something that you consider evil but really it's a based off the fact that their viewpoints are so much different than your your own you know? yeah that's that's um, pretty much how i feel about it yeah i but, mean because you see isis or you know these things that we're calling evil and i just i feel like whatever their viewpoint is which may be very distorted or may just be that we don't understand it um, it it's born out of trauma. Yeah, and and I and maybe this is kind of going on a, on a weird aside, but I also feel like um, you know a sense of righteousness is really dangerous. Yeah, because you know people can are willing to to do things to other people based off of the fact that they think they're they're right and that that you know it's it's the will of a higher power or something like that and yeah. i feel like that's a, a shield that a lot of people hide behind when they when they do acts that i would consider evil right um but right they surrender personal responsibility for it so you right. can get away with a lot right yeah. yeah which could take the form of following orders could take the form of defending freedom right could take the form of Allah, justice from Allah. Right, yeah. right. So, and I, and I think that like just branding things as evil is is not the best solution because it just puts everything into a into a big box, yeah. and then just creates more fear and hatred. Yeah. And but I mean, I feel like a lot of in a lot of cultures, including our own, like we we uh, tend towards finding someone to or some other to uh, to hate or distrust or yeah. whatnot yeah which is sad. Do you you've spent a lot of time overseas have you lived overseas um that's a good question i no not really i've spent you know other than i mean it depends what what that you know i've, I've been all throughout peru and chile and argentina and we're in for work Costa Rica or right now cruising around for for all yeah mm. and then uh, but you know i mean a lot of the documentary style trips that we I do or work on can be anywhere from you know five days to to several months right. so you know in that regard and you speak Spanish yeah but yeah. not as well as you put yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in 20 years in Barcelona and you'll speak way better than me man yeah no my my great mistake was that I hooked up with a woman who spoke English quite well and then uh, her English got way better and my Spanish stayed where it was yeah yeah. I mean, I took what I did was I took three, four months off in college. I took a quarter off from UC San Diego, yeah. and I went to um, I went to South America, and started with a couple weeks of language program, and then just kind of traveled and explored, mm. and was just tried to use the Spanish as much as I could, as I just did every awesome adventure I could find. Right, and I just used my tuition money for that, and then I just still tried to graduate on time, so it 
was a, like a you know it was a zero sum scenario. Right. right. And I I recommend that to any you know kid in college. It's like <laughs> just take a break for a second. Scam your way out for a cool. while. Yeah, that. But also just like you know go down there and and explore something that's that different than American culture because I think the perspective yeah. and also like that you know what I learned there as far as Spanish and also just stuff about the world and the way things work gives you a perspective that's like worth more than any class that you would have taken in that period of time. I did the same thing. And you're having a ton of fun, right? I mean, it's like, we were like, I went with a couple of buddies from time to time. My sister came down and traveled with me. My brother Kyle came down for a period of it. We like, we went to the jungles and we we saw jaguars in the wild. We like Mm. did like zip lines and surfed all the way down the Peruvian and Chilean coast. Like went to Patagonia. Like that stuff's awesome and epic. And like, it's good to know that it's out there. I did the same thing. I, uh, my senior year in college, I skipped my junior year and then I went back I didn't want to go back. My dad sort of was like, my dad's super cool and always supported me in all my harebrained schemes and stuff. But I called him from Alaska and I was like, dad, I'm going to Japan. I'm not going back to school. I'm going to go to Asia and I'm going to teach English and I'm going to And he was like, look, you know, I never ask you to do anything. I'm going to ask you this one time, go back, finish. It'll be so much easier to go back, finish one more year rather than 10 years from now try to go back and finish your degree you know your credits they want it's just yeah i'm definitely not recommending stopping and not going back i think it's good to get it over with yeah because otherwise it only makes it that much more difficult yeah but uh he was right about that totally but anyway i got back to school and i was like all right i'll go back i'll do my senior year but i'm not going to live in any fucking dorms again because i'd been living in my tent for months so I set up my tent in the woods behind the art museum, and I'm like, I'm gonna live in my fucking tent, right? There's a lot of people that do that in in, in Santa Cruz. Really? Yeah. see like students that like live in their car up the coast, yeah. and they can just surf every day and cruise yeah. in the class. I mean, housing prices in, in Santa Cruz are almost as bad as Los Angeles yeah, right now. it's crazy. And there's no place to make any money. Right. So, so it's nuts. Right. Um, but anyway, so I was, I was bitching one night, I was hanging out with, uh, a professor, a friend of mine, and a guy who was the dean, and uh, I was bitching about, you know, I don't need to be back here, I'm done, you guys should just give me a degree, you know, it's like I know how to read and write, that's all a degree in English verifies, Um, and the dean was like, yeah, but you gotta, you know, do your time, whatever, and... and, in prison. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, put in your time, and I was like... And I was, anyway, I was complaining. He was like, well, wait a minute. Why don't you just, why don't you go to Mexico? And I said, what do you mean? He's like, well, just get some independent studies. You got some professors who are cool and friends and they'll sign the form and, and like, just go. And I was like, yeah, but the, you know, the thing is you can only have one independent study in your senior year. And he was like, yeah, but the professor signs it. I sign it. It goes into a file and no one ever sees it again. So there you go. So I went to these professors, I went to six professors, because uh, I had three courses, you know, fall term, we had a trimester system. So fall and uh, winter term, maybe it's just winter term, maybe this conversation happened fall term. Anyway, so I got these professors to sign these forms and he signed them. And then for like four months I was free. And my parents were like, yeah, we'll give you the, like your parents, we'll give you the money that we were getting paid anyway for oh, you to live. We did the same thing. Yeah, and I went to Chiapas. That was my first trip to Mexico out of the US and Canada. I think that's like a really cool insight to share with, with listeners or whatever, which is like, you know, 
going through, especially, I mean, I don't know, what, what school was it that you were at? Hobart College. Okay, called, so maybe it was a little bit more flexible. Some of the UCs can be a little rigid with some of that stuff. Yeah. But I even found that it was that I, you know, I, I've developed relationships with my professors. I went to some of those office hours. People think that like you're sucking up to the teacher when you go to the office hours. I, I felt the opposite way. It was like you could skip the lectures and go to the office hours. And then you're hanging out with this person one on one as like a peer. Right. And if you build those relationships with those people, they'll they'll assist you. They'll you know help you right. with your concepts, with your papers, all this kind of stuff. But you can also get them. You know, I used to go surf with some of my right. my professors at UC San Diego, and yeah. and it was awesome. And like, like those are the people you're actually still in touch with down right. the road, first right. of all. And then if you want to do something that's creative or different with your experience there, um, they're the people that are going to advocate for that and like right. actually make it happen. I think one of the great um, insights that I've learned with age uh, is re- is involved with this because. Like you, I was like I was the young I was the student who benefited a lot from the the sort of uh, generosity of older people, whether they're teachers or guys who pick me up hitchhiking or whatever. You know, there's there just always seemed to be older people in my life who looked out for me and helped me out and gave me a leg up and all that. And I I just always felt so blessed and lucky and. And now that I'm older, I realize that there's something in it for them, that they really, you know, you go to that office hour meeting with the professor and you're not a sycophant. You're you're a smart guy. You're a cool guy. You're talking to him like a human being and you respect his knowledge, you respect his experience, but you're not, you know, like, you know, oh, professor, you know, save, you know, change my life kind of bullshit. You're putting your own work into it. They love that. They live for that shit. So it feels really good for them to help a guy like that. You know, you're you're watering a plant that's growing. It's going to thrive. You're not putting water into a bucket with a fucking hole in the bottom. You know, totally. And um, so I think young people shouldn't feel um, apologetic for for uh, approaching older people and and asking for a hand as long as they're willing to do the work themselves i i was given this um specialized hey shout out to specialized uh i had a guy on who's a mountain bike racer cool uh ryan cleek i think his name was really cool guy and i was going to buy a a mountain bike because i live in topanga and it's like this great mountain bike area and i need i ride a specialized mountain bike as well sweet there we go my roommate it still works for them he designs uh he runs runs one of their facilities in uh in vietnam i believe really and uh i want to say vietnam i might be off by like one of those country in southeast asia at the moment but um yeah marshall poland he uh he's out there right now and i used to live uh at my house in santa cruz and Worked for Specialized. And there you go. Apparently, it's a great place to work. Totally awesome. Culture. Ryan had worked there for a while. They get to go on like daily rides where they basically like the whole office just jump. They all jump on bikes and just ru- tear through the whole neighborhood. Really? Yeah, for like an hour. So <laughs> everyone's just fantastic. staying fit and like doing what they yeah. love. It's yeah. great. Yeah, good culture. Yeah, and using their products. And anyway, so uh, I, I, you know, I was like, oh, you, it's like asking you or Kyle about surfboards. You know, like, hey, I'm thinking of learning to surf. What should I get? And uh, and I was thinking to get an electric assist bike because you know I'm at the bottom of the canyon and like from my house to any fire road is like straight up 500 feet or something, and um, 
I showed him a couple of models I was looking at, and he said, yeah, let me, let me look into it and get back to you. So he contacted Specialized and told them, you know, about my podcast and whatever. I don't know what he told them. And they were like, yeah, whatever. We'll give you one. Awesome. So they gave me this beautiful fucking bike. It's electric assist. Specialized. It's called the Turbo Levo. And um, I ride it all the time. And the yeah. first time you've I been, rode, you've it. been bragging about it when we when we rode down to the beach the other day. You were like, oh. you were like, what is this? I'm I'm pedaling here. This is horrible. I can't stand this experience. <laughs> this shitty conventional bike. Yeah, it's like the Tesla of mountain bikes. It's so like modern and sweet and like it's just really well designed. And uh, but this this all has a point. Uh, so I ride this thing and I realize that it is a metaphor for life in general because the way it works is it doesn't just push you can't sit on it and just push a button and go up a hill you have to pedal and the more you pedal and it's not just pedal it's force it monitors how much force you're putting on the pedals so the more you're pushing the more it gives you so and, it, and you it, need the work it's powered up ahead of time, but while you're pedaling, you're, you're also charging it, kind of like a Prius, right? No, it doesn't do that, and the brakes don't charge it or anything like that. Okay. But it's got, the battery's got like an 80 mile, you know, on flat, right. an 80 mile radius, so it's got Pl a good- Plenty of poop. Plenty of capacity. But, but what I love about it is, and I don't know how it's engineered exactly, because you can't just say like, give me high power, and then I'll pedal a little bit. It, knows how hard you're working Great. and it gives you help in proportion to how hard you're working. And as soon as I noticed that, I was like, this is like a perfect teacher, a good parent, even a good friend, you know? Like, I'm not gonna, you need help. Like, let's say you come to me and you're like, hey dude, I'm working on this manuscript. You're a writer, you know, can you give me a hand? If I look at the manuscript and it's full of bullshit and it's totally like, obviously you've put very little work into it, then I'm gonna be like, sorry buddy, I'm busy. But if I look at it and it's obvious that you've put a lot of thought and work into this and you're really trying to do something cool, then I'm gonna be more like, hey, all right, I'll put, a, I'll put some hours into this, you know? Skin I like what you're doing. Game. Exactly, exactly. And so it's the same thing like when you go to your teacher or you, know, you, you show up on a film project and like, hey, well, can I, how can I help? The more you bring to it, the more people are gonna it's like it's like one of those retirement programs where they'll like match your exactly. You put a thousand in, we'll put in two. I feel like human beings react pretty well to that kind of. Yeah, I think there's an innate generosity, but we don't want to waste our fucking time, right? You know, our energy. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. I didn't intend for this episode to be all about helping the youth <laughs> climb up the career ladder, but you're obviously doing a really good job of it. I, so I'm just making it up as I go. Hey, it works. It works, man. And, you're, lot, and your work is beautiful. Thanks. I mean, I knew it would be just from talking to you, but I hadn't seen any of it until we sat down here. So where do you go from here? Do you have like, are you just kind of taking it as it comes or do you have a general sense of where you're trying to go with all this? I think that's a really, really interesting question because 
you know, I would the immediate answer is I don't really know, but I think that my goal is to continue to do the kinds of things that I'm excited about and inspire me within the medium. Right. And and I think that the medium itself is constantly evolving and it has just in the period of, you know, 15 years that I've been working in kind of in, in, in technology in film or? and documentary work and stuff like mm. the cameras are getting lighter and smaller, right? Like which allows for the shooting style to have changed. There's a lot of like, you know, handheld camera operation is really popular now. Like people want to feel, they don't want everything on a dolly, super right. smooth slider kind of stuff. I like you know? that, that. Yeah, that uh, feeling of immediacy and, and presence, you know? So, um, I mean, that's a, that's a quick example moving back to the technical. But I think that, um, you know, I think I really enjoy trying to, uh, you know, become a better storyteller and just work to continue. You do a lot of writing as well? I, you know, I mean, I think storytelling in the sense of the visual medium. So like, you know, I, I, you know, whether I'm working on a, on a show with Kaj or doing um, like a documentary, it's just diving into what is that story that you're after. And um, so a lot of those things can be pseudo prescripted ahead of time, but a lot of the stuff that, that we do is, is you're really finding a premise and a, and a question or a, a conceit, and then you're gonna go out and, and that's gonna, it's gonna, and unveil itself in the field, which I love because um, I feel like I, I kind of dig the immediacy of things. Do you show up at a location with a with a clear sense of what sorts of images you're looking for, or do you show up more with a sense of emotions you're trying to convey? Or well, I think it depends on the project. I think it's it's a really good idea to have a sense of, of what the emotion is or what the uh, the overarching takeaway is from that you're going to want from any project. But then I think that the uh, you know a lot is informed by the scout, assuming you have time to do that. But I highly recommend it. You know, the yeah. more time you can you know you can have to walk through a situation, meet some of the people that you're going to be in, involved with or right. interviewing or interacting with beforehand. Um, it can allow you to kind of find good locations where that stuff is going to make sense and you're not going to deal with I mean, there's always a ton of technical um issues that you have to or hurdles that you have to get over before and you know like when we were setting up your camera and playing with some of that stuff initially like right. i think my mind often clicks into technical mode uh first you know where's those where's the sun going to be where are we going to get the light like how are we going to keep this quality is there going to be a flicker you know any of that kind of stuff by the way it's been dark as fuck in here since we yeah, started shooting. i don't think anyone can see this so I haven't... yeah no we look all right we're, we look like we're by a fire just we're, kidding yeah fire it's romantic um <laughs> on our beige sofa right. beige squeaky wall squeaky beige sofa <laughs> squeaky beige sofa it's, it's exactly. a, you know lost in a yurt yeah um, lost in a yurt <laughs> but uh so yeah i mean i think we're you know to bring that full circle um you know, I'd like to start to try to create some episodic um, shows for, 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 you know, on demand or, or whatever, Netflix, Hulu, any of these types of cool um, behemoths that are, that are coming Emerging. up in the industry, that are changing yeah. the industry and, and whatnot. And um, I think some of that, you know, the episodic content is great because you can dive deeper into, um, you know, a, a topic and really, really, you know, give a lot to the to the person that's tuning in yeah um you know and then i also think that there's um there's some awesome um verite work out there for just you know cool documentaries and just you know lensing larger projects i think is, is great so i'm kind of wanting to do more of that and, yeah. and still enjoying a lot of the of the stuff you know interviewing directors or doing uh doing cool stuff on sets is is exciting and 
you know, it's fun to work with cool actors. Yeah. Are you over the sort of starstruck, like, holy shit, that's Steven Spielberg or that's, you know, Bruce Springsteen or who, you know, whoever? I, I, I'm stoked on certain people, but at the same time, like, yeah, I don't know that. Yeah, I guess probably I'm a little bit. I think that you see better. them as people. Yeah, I think you always should try to approach those people as as just people, and you're going to get a better uh, reaction or interaction from them anyway, right? I mean, you want to yeah. take it really seriously because a lot of these people's time is limited, and yeah, sure. you know, there's no bullshit. But um, so you want to get it right, but at the same time, um, they're just human beings just yeah. like you are moving yeah. from one thing to the next and I think that if you can um, connect with them on that level you're going to be better off than if you're just standing there with your mouth open who, who have you met like that you admire most as, as a, an artist um, I mean we were talking about uh, Stephen King the other day he's, oh, right. he's awesome yeah you um, met him I met him coming on, home with uh, Chick-fil-A sandwiches. yeah yeah he says, I mean it just as like he's just himself and he you know doesn't have to apologize and that's awesome and he's inspiring does he have like an entourage or anything no i mean that was the thing like this guy is the one of the most successful writers in history and um you know he was just very down to earth and and you know nice and and really like connected with everyone that was you know yeah. appreciative of what was happening he was working on uh, a, a book that was being adapted for tv um called under the dome and um, and you know, he's just out there enjoying the process, and, and he wrote a couple of the episodes, mm. and uh, I thought that was cool. Um, so yeah, he's the one that comes to mind. Um, and obviously, John Williams and, and Steven yeah. Spielberg are, are inspirational people that I feel yeah. really honored to have met. Yeah. I got to meet J.J. Abrams um, about a month or two ago. Mm. Shot an interview with him, and he was he's he young, was, right? He's yeah, forties or something. That would make sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was super nice. Yeah. I was blown away. Like, very cool. He did what? Star Wars, Star Trek. I think he did yep. the, Star, Trek. Star Trek. Yep. I mean, he's done a, he's done a, a gazillion shit. things yeah. that are incredible. But and his his spot in Los Angeles, Bad Robot, is really cool. What's it called? It's called Bad Robot. His production company. Oh, Bad Robot. Yeah, and it's I, and I I'm almost sure that this is real, but it's in an old. Uh, like an American typewriter building yeah. and part of what he does is that if anyone brings one of those typewriters to the building he will have it serviced oh really <laughs> to keep the legacy of that going which I just think wow. is so cool huh. you know it's yeah, like you know cool yeah so um, sort of offbeat yeah but I mean I'm you know I you know and I would say there's other people out there that inspire me even more than some like actors and, and whatnot like my little brother is an inspiring human. He is. Kaj is an inspiring yeah, human. Yeah. I think that the best thing that you can do is try and surround yourself with people that are uh, that are pushing the envelope, and that, that helps you kind of do the same. Right. You know. Do you consider yourself to be ambitious? Probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I do. And and how would you define it? Um. Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. How do I define ambition or my personal ambition? Well, if you're ambitious, ambitious for what? I mean, what is it that drives you? What are you hungry for? Yeah, I think, I mean, and it's the question is, is it, is it, uh, is it a curse or is it a, right? It's like the curse of ambition. <laughs> We're getting to that. Kaj and I talk about this a lot. It's a trick right? question. Yeah, it's the curse of ambition, right? <laughs> so um, yeah. I think that I am for sure, and but I enjoy it, you know, and I, and I think that you constantly push for doing more and continuing but that's it that's that there's an adrenaline in that mm. you know um if that makes any sense 
It does. You don't... And the reason I asked was, you strike me as an ambitious guy, but you don't strike me as a guy who's um, driven by a sense of inadequacy. Well, it's a compliment. I appreciate it. I I mean, I hope it's true. You you decide if it's true or not. But, you know, most people who are ambitious seem to me that they're driven by a sense of inadequacy. And so that's, I guess, the curse of it. They'll never get there. Right. You know, um, we were. I was just doing a podcast with Jerry, who owns this place that right. we're in, and we talked about some of that and how Great a lot guy. of his life was like. I got to make money to prove, you know, that I'm enough, and he made tens of millions, and it never got there. Yeah, I mean, I think that like it, it, our our whole family, Kyle and myself, and we have you know four other brothers and sisters, or I have four other brothers and sisters. You know, step half full, kind of a different iteration of a of a eclectic, uh, you know, modern. You're like family. the amazing Tannenbaums or it's, something. It's There's... kind of nuts. Totally, it's very much like that. Yeah, you know? and it, the entire faction of of the lineage all reside in Santa Cruz, California. Right, right. which is which is unreal. So Thanksgiving is always fun. But um, you know, I think that it, it's we have a very creative family and like a very DIY like do-it-yourself kind of mm-hmm. kind of scenario so there's a lot of ambition there and I think that that kind of ping-pongs back and forth among the uh, the, the parents the children the offspring to kind of like continue to to carry this flag of creativity and creation in, in a sense right. so I think that that might be where the drive kind of comes from to do stuff mm. and, I, and I think it's healthy to a certain degree you know yeah. and I think it is important to have like the uh, you know some of that um, pot like the positive reinforcement of accomplishment which yeah. maybe we have a hard time giving each other mm. um, but I was able to give Kyle a good compliment this morning that I was very proud of. Oh, yeah. And I think it meant a lot to him oh, for okay. all the stuff that he's been able to accomplish. Yeah. So um, that and you know, so maybe you can get over those little those those issues in your own life. Are you guys competitive, the, the sibling? You know, I think that the, the the best way to look at it is to create a sense of pride in what your siblings and father or right. or children or anything can yeah. accomplish. Yeah. And that but I think there is a sense of com- competitiveness between all of us but I think if you confuse that with pride so that you so that you you have both then everyone you know it's a rising tide that lifts all boats and um, you know I think that that is where I want to be and take my life so continue to do interesting things with the people that you like to work with and um, and I think that if you can get that I'm, you know, a blank for the words, but like, you know, the positive reinforcement from the people that you love, then that means a lot. It's and very, you guys are on a team. So there's competitiveness, but you're all on the same yeah, team. Yeah, Kyle and I are sure. looking at trying to put together a documentary we're going to start working on over the summer together, yeah. which I'm excited about. Yeah. So it's like, the more you can kind of fuse that, it's right. great, and everyone wins. There's a lot of convergence of interests uh, that I've seen among you guys, right. you know, and with your mom as well and her. Uh, I should get her on the podcast. I've been thinking about that. Yeah. I mean, I, it feels kind of incestuous, as I said earlier, you know, like I've just gone from one to another, but you guys are all so fucking interesting. It's like a circus. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. No. Uh, cool. Well, like, let's go get dinner. What do you I say? think that's great. I'm feeling like we're never going to get the sun back, it looks like. No, it's, it's just raining like hell out here in Costa Rica. Winter in Costa Rica. At least it's 80 degrees out. 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty nice. Yeah, well, it's been a blast. Thanks for doing it's this, fun man. Chatting with you. Yeah, no, yeah, it was it, my my first sit down podcast. Though. Really, I was nervous, but it was great. <laughs> I feel like I, I feel like I just lost my virginity. It's as easy as a colonic. Yeah. <laughs> by, by the way, we should mention you came here straight from your colonic, your second colonic we're, in two days. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up, Chris. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're here at this like retreat wellness. Like, I need to set context. Retreat Wellness Life Advancement Center, where it's like I just did my third massage in yeah, the second colonic. That's why you're so fucking laid back. I, I thought you were stoned. Your eyes are like. You know, you're half closed and you're like super relaxed. Like, this guy's eating some hash brownies I, or something. All we've really been eating is, is vegetables. Healthy, and there's no the, booze. Yeah, this is, I mean, we're, we're going to come out of this just... I was looking at my skin. I feel like bright and shiny and stuff. Yeah. yeah it's crazy. And I got this fucking toothache, so I'm on like a soup diet. I mean, yeah, you're losing weight. We're gonna we're gonna get you back into LA, and I'm gonna be gonna, like the women will be banging down the door. I can't, you know. I'm waiting for that Philip Seymour Hoffman biopic. You know, they're gonna call me for that. I'm sure. I think you, you're with, a ringer with my background in porn. Totally, you, know, you look just like him. I was just, just think of that. <laughs> in his better days. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> yeah. All thank right. you. Thank All you right. for hanging out. Uh, if you'd like to support the podcast and are financially able, go to patreon.com and search for Tangentially Speaking. You enter your credit card, tell them you want to give me a buck, five bucks, 20 bucks, 30 bucks, 50 bucks, 200 bucks, and then they'll just automatically ding your credit card and you don't have to think about it again. Uh, if you don't have uh, the money to do that, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Tell your friends about the podcast, write a review on iTunes, or just enjoy the podcast. It doesn't matter. I want to thank Basin and Range for that intro music. The song's called Bright Side of the Sun. And you can check them out at basinandrangeband.com. If you want to talk about the podcast, you can go to Reddit, where there are a few thousand people chatting about the podcast. Uh, I drop in and answer questions, post photos, uh, whatever. Pretty cool community there. Another forum where you can meet fellow listeners to this podcast is at t eight. No, sorry, tspeaking.boardhost.com. This has been set up by a listener to enable people to um, register and uh, their different states and countries so you can find people who live near you, get together, have a beer, smoke a bowl, eat some mushrooms, dance under the moonlight, however you celebrate these things. You'll find uh, like-minded spirits on that. It's Again, it's tspeaking.boardhost.com. Dot com. And uh, if you want to get some T-shirts, we have the Civilized to Death shirts, Sex at Dawn shirts, Tangentially Speaking shirts. They're all in my mom's garage. She will get them out to you in a jiffy. Julie, my mom, is one of the most efficient people you will ever meet. So you can find those on my website. That Chris Ryan, ChrisRyanPhD.com, TangentiallySpeaking.com, whatever. You'll find them. Just look in the store there. If you want to buy some other T-shirts from the same manufacturer, that's Shore Design T shirts they are fantastic i know i say this is an ad free podcast uh and this could be construed as an ad but sure design t-shirts have been supporting this podcast since its inception bennett who was the dude there decided he was going to support the podcast he sent me a bunch of shirts uh at an extreme discount to uh, help us out since bennett died the people who took over sure design t-shirts.com uh have decided to continue giving us the same deal that bennett gave us 
So be sure to use the discount code CTD, as in civilized to death, when you order anything from them and you'll get 20%, 20% off your entire order. That's the discount code CTD and that's at suredesigntshirts.com. Thank you to Carsey Blanton for the song you're about to hear. You can check her out at carseyblanton.com. She performed this little ditty, especially for us. Sounds like she was sitting in her garage. You can hear the birds chirping. The song is called Smoke Alarm, and it's a reminder to live now because you're going to die one day. This is for you guys, Bennett and Justin. Miss you. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm going to die one day. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? Trying to meet an expectation, wondering what they're gonna say. When everyone you've ever known is headed for a headstone. Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up but give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Thinking about a reputation It's a big deal If you want to be free Say what you want to feel Spend the night with me I'm gonna take you up in my arms And if we must go down We'll go singing to the smoke alarms We'll dance into the ground 